think one of the reasons why it is so popular is all of the non-musical things that they learn by being in a group this size. They have to take individual responsibility. They have to learn to work with people around them who are different than they are. And there's different people around them at all points in time during the show, during the week, every show they rotate to a different position. So they learn a lot of the non-musical skills that are going to contribute to them being so successful after leaving the University of Florida. They're referred to as the pride of the sunshine and the sound of the Gator Nation. We're talking about the Gator Marching Band. It's one of the biggest in the nation and its members are now hard at work preparing to once again set the tempo for the University of Florida's football games, pep rallies, parades and other big events. I'm your host, Nikki Brown, and today on From Florida, I'm speaking with Jay Watkins, Associate Director of Bands. Welcome, Jay. It's nice to be here. Thank you. I want to start with where the idea of collegiate marching bands actually came from and and what the history of the Gator Marching Band is specifically. Can you tell us more? Sure. College marching bands were basically an outgrowth of the ROTC bands or the cadet bands that existed on almost all of the uh, university campuses or college campuses. And then they eventually kind of morphed and grew into student organizations that were not cadet affiliated. People might know Texas A&M, you know, they have a cadet band that uh, performs everywhere. You have to be a member of the Corps of Cadets to be in their band. Uh, And that's the way it was here at Florida, even before the University of Florida was formed Um, the three component institutions that came together to form the University of Florida, there were cadet bands at all three of those schools. So the the concept of the marching band kind of predates even the formation of UF in in 1853. And then once uh, UF formed, it continued as a cadet band. And it wasn't until 1913 that an all-student band was started uh, by a group of students with a student director. Uh, And then it's... uh, you know, it's been growing from there. And it seems like there's always just such an incredible amount of camaraderie between not just the current members of the band, but people who have actually graduated and they they tend to stay together as well. Yes. I think I'm not sure if it's it's just a uh, a shared experience that tends to bond them together. Um, misery loves company. <laughs> but uh, yes, we have a tremendous alumni band program here at UF that provides uh, tremendous support to the current program. And alumni bands all over the country are, are getting together and organizing and they're having their own conferences now and really helping to support the, the current programs. But it it is quite a bit of bonding that takes place. Uh, again, those folks spend a lot of time Uh, rehearsing together a lot of time with each other, a lot of time traveling together. Uh, They're, you know, 18 to 22 year olds that have similar interests. Um, We're really fortunate here at UF that we have over 110 different majors represented in the band. So it really is a great um, kind of a a cross cut of campus. Uh, And it really does shrink the size of the campus down for those students. And how do they get into the band? Do they need to audition? Uh, Yes, everybody has to audition uh, every year. Um, They audition. So just because maybe they've made the band one year, they still need to re-audition the next year. We started doing video auditions years ago, um, well before the COVID crisis forced us to do it. uh, And that has worked tremendously well. Uh, We generally, um, we do auditions, video auditions for all of the wind players, the 
brass and woodwind instruments. We do live and video auditions for the Color Guard. We call it the F, the Florida Visual Ensemble. Uh, the FVE is their their uh, acronym, and then the Gatorettes, which are the twirlers uh, that perform with the band. Uh, and then uh, there's also the drumline, the Florida drumline or FDL. And is that simply a matter of of trying to streamline things because it is so large and you've got to look at so many auditions? Is it is that the reason that you do that? That's a big part of it. The other part is it just makes it so much easier since we have students from all over the country and international students. Instead of requiring them to show up for an in-person audition, obviously the technology is in place. Why don't we use it? Um, so we can get all of the auditions taken care of. They don't have to travel. They can also have a little more uh, calm experience of recording on their own. And then when their video is to the level where they're comfortable, then they send the video in. Got it. And we do follow up. I'll just follow up quickly. We do live auditions then to follow up with the for the Florida Visual Ensemble, Gatorettes and the Drumline. They do all have to come in for a one day live audition early in the summer. And then we spend the rest of the summer working with them to get them ready for camp. And what about the camp? How long is the camp? We start the uh, generally the day before the residence halls open on campus. So this year we'll start on the 18th. We usually do about six days of 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., um, three rehearsal blocks a day with breaks for meals to really try to get everything done that we need to get done before they start classes. Once classes start, we have a we have an academic class schedule that that we still see them quite a bit, but we realize that everybody is here to get a degree in something other than marching band. So we um, we we're really very detailed with how we use the time. Well, talking about that, what is the time commitment of band members um, aside from that camp, which sounds really intense? Uh, we meet Monday evenings uh, for two hours for music rehearsals. Uh, we spend um, half of that time in sectionals, you know, by instrument, and then the rest of the time in full ensemble. We call it New Music Monday because we're we're still one of the few bands in the country that learns new shows uh, for each home game. And so there's always, they're always learning something. And then Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 4.05 to 6 p.m., uh, we have rehearsals scheduled out on our practice field. Uh, we don't use all the Fridays, but most of them. Those of you that are on the back half of the field, raise your hand. Basically the back half of group one, group four and five. When you come out of the tunnel, you come straight to this spot. Don't round the corner and then run forward. You come from the tunnel straight to your spot. Understood? Okay, group one, walk it out, go. And you mentioned just the range of students, which I think a lot of people often think, oh, these are just students studying music and they're really not. But what about the range of instruments that, that you have? Does that vary from year to year? Yes. The number of instruments varies year to year. It's the same standard instrumentation, piccolo, clarinet, alto sax, tenor sax, trumpet, trombone, horn, um, baritone, sousaphone, and then all of the different you know percussion instruments. Uh, the numbers vary slightly based, again, it's just based on auditions. What's the composition then of the bands in terms of how many of each kind of instrument that you have? Because it's very impressive when you see the, the large brass instruments out there, but does that change from year to year? Slightly, unfortunately. 
Um, we would love if we had like a core number, a set number of, of for each section. But it, again, it, 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 we have to adjust every year just based on the number of students that audition. You know, we, we norm, well, the last two years post COVID it's been interesting because we had a huge turnout for people who obviously really missed the activity, uh, when they couldn't do it, we had over 640, uh, applications, uh, last year for basically 420 positions. And how does that compare to say the, the typical size of a, a collegiate marching band? I'd say we're, a, we're, we're a little larger than most, uh, the last couple of years, especially in this year, we're going to be, this year we're at 425. I thought it might dip a little bit, but it hasn't. You remain very popular. Apparently. And what about the logistics then of, I mean, just thinking about that number of students trying to go from one place to the other. I think many of us who have attended games have seen students within the, who are members of the band converging towards the field. But what about when you're moving them to other places? How do you do that? Uh, I will say that that UPS has nothing on us when it comes to logistics, um, because that is it's a huge endeavor. Um, it, it's nine to ten buses if we're we're moving people and equipment trucks, and it it's like moving an army, quite frankly. Um, so they all understand. And one of the great things about I mean I I'll just say I have the best job in the world. I, I absolutely love what I do because I work with so many great students who they understand that they're part of something bigger than themselves and that it's a it's a we us mentality in the organization. So everybody knows, okay, if the bus is leaving at this time, you need to be on the bus 15 minutes before it moves. And so everybody helps everybody else make sure that that they're there and they're ready to go. So we don't have too many of those issues. Now, obviously traffic or a bus breakdown, you know. We spend a lot of time um, learning how to overcome challenges. And very successfully by the sounds of things. Do you have a buddy system that's set up so that you've got the more junior members paired with more senior members or does it just naturally evolve within the band? It, it, I would say it naturally evolves. We have, we have section leaders within each group, generally four to six section leaders per section that are responsible for you know, the one section leader is responsible for the uniforms for the section and other instruments, music, attendance, morale, things like that. So those, we put a lot of trust. We delegate a lot of trust to the section leaders to take care of their section, be the personnel managers. Uh, and that's, I think one of the, one of the reasons why it, it is so popular is that is all of the non-musical things that they learn by being in a group this size, you know, they, they have to take individual responsibility. They have to learn to work with people around them who are different than they are. And there, and there's different people around them at all points in time during the, during the show, during the week, every show they rotate to a different position. So they, they learn a lot of, uh, the non-musical skills that are going to make them that's contribute to them being so successful after leaving the University of Florida. Yeah, it sounds like they're also learning some great leadership skills, almost like a captain of a sports team. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how we run it, that the, the section leaders are the personnel managers, and then the section leaders report to the drum majors, the three student conductors that conduct in, on the front sideline of the group. Uh, we empower them to solve problems. And then if they're, if they're problems that they can't solve, then they 
we ask them to come to us so that then we can help kind of guide that. We spend a lot of time with the leadership team over the summer. Uh, every Tuesday night, I have a two-hour meeting with all of the leadership team, wherever they are around the world. We do, we do a Zoom meeting, just talking about trying to equip them with the tools to be better leaders so that when we get back together and it's crunch time, they've already established how they're going to communicate with each other and how they, how they want to speak and what words to use so that we're all working together to create a positive. Uh, we refer to it as that we're just one big, huge dysfunctional family when we're together. So that's, that's our goal is to create that environment for them every year. Well, speaking of working together, let's talk about those formations and, and what you're actually doing on the field because it, it's quite spectacular. And as someone who has watched it, I'm endlessly amazed that you managed to do what you do. How do you do that? I mean, do you use some kind of technology? Um, you know, we like to say here at UF that we're building an AI university. Do you use artificial intelligence to choreograph what we're doing? How does that come about? Unfortunately, it's not artificial intelligence okay. yet. I would love to to dive into a way to, to make that happen. Um, we actually use a uh, software program uh, that I've been using for about 40 years now uh, that that uh, we've helped to develop quite a bit. And um, it it's basically just kind of a sophisticated graphing program that allows us to um, get ideas on paper. Unfortunately, the AI thing would be awesome because then the ideas don't all have to come from my head. Uh, so, but that's, that's basically where it comes from. We, um, we use a fairly sophisticated system of writing it and then delivering that information to the students. We moved years ago to a, uh, to, to eliminate all paper. So, um, we use an app, a phone-based app, since we know all the students are going to have their phone and they're going to have them out and using them. Um, we use an app-based system that delivers their drill, their formation information to them. They can see their exact coordinate on the field at the end of each phrase. They can see an animation of what it's supposed to look like. They can see a diagram that shows where they were, where they are now, where they're going to next. Uh, and we also put all of their music uh onto the app. So we do everything through their phone. Uh, I will say one of our biggest fears, we had a lot of discussions about, do we want to do, do we really want to have them on their phones that much? Uh, and we realized that they're going to be on their phones anyway. Let's use it to our advantage. And um, if they're on their phone, if they're on TikTok or Instagram or something else, it just means we're not moving fast enough. So we just use that as our own personal challenge to make sure we're moving as quickly as we can. Got it. What about the the songs that you choose? Do the students have any say in that? How does that come about? Yes, we use a student creative team. Um, and we spend a lot of time in the spring semester where there are no bad ideas. And then we get into the summer and we get rid of the bad ideas um, <laughs> and work on really what what we can play, what we can get licensing for, copyright. And so on and so of. on. Yeah, all mm -hmm. of the lawyer stuff, right? Uh, and then we, we get it arranged and then try to put together shows that are going to entertain the people at the football games. It's not about competition or anything like that. It's, it's about creating something that's going to be entertaining. Well, you must be particularly uh, successful at that because I understand that the Gator Marching Band was the only band invited to perform at the 2012 Summer Olympic Games in London. That must have been an incredible experience for the band. How do those sorts of opportunities come about? The London experience came about because the, uh, the what was it, the London 
organizing committee uh, for the Olympic Games, LOCOG, uh, wanted to create the same kind of environment that they had seen at SEC football games, co college, American college football games mm -hmm. at each Olympic venue. So they, they asked us uh, to come over and actually uh, Dr. Chip Berkner, who's the associate director of the band or co-director of the band, we do everything together. Uh, we both went over, had meetings with them and they said, well, look, we want to bring your band over to, to help create this environment. So it was a, it was a wonderful invitation. Uh, it ended up being a wonderful experience for the students while they were there. It was absolute chaos for the <laughs> six months of planning that we were allowed prior to, to going over there and getting everybody credentialed and, and all of that. We ended up, um, in addition to playing for the Olympics, we also were the, the band for Michelle Obama and the official U.S. delegation. So that involved a whole nother level of security and credentials and everything else. Um, but the students had a blast. It would it couldn't have been a better trip. So I, I guess, too, one of the things that you think about are the instruments. I mean, these are expensive instruments. They're often very, very delicate. That kind of travel must be something that you fear as well as get excited about in a way. Yes. Uh, traveling, well, any any travel is interesting and terrifying at the same time uh with this many people but yeah making sure all the instruments are taken care of and and um packaged appropriately uh and shipped we we took everything with us on that trip we're getting ready for another potential international trip and we're looking at um and at maybe just putting everything on pallets and having it professionally shipped ahead of time just so that it everything is there and taken care of from that standpoint so what's your uh, your um instrument of choice well, now nowadays it's a baton. Yeah. <laughs> um, I started playing clarinet. I, I was really lucky. I started playing clarinet when I was in the fourth grade. And then um, uh, well, actually where I grew up, we could hear the high school marching band mm -hmm. from our house. Oh, that's and so, so cool. so in the afternoons, that's I would be like on the front porch listening to the band practice, yeah. which was about a, almost a mile away at that point. But um, so, yeah, we, we were lucky to um, – I, I was the oldest of three. I played clarinet. My uh, – Next sister played um, flute and bassoon, and my youngest sister played the horn. So we were all doing band. Things. At least there were no drums in your house. Yeah. I'm a I'm a dropout um, clarinet player. I yes. started in eighth grade. It's not an easy instrument. No, there it's are not. many many shrieky squeaks that oh my come. Gosh, it's yeah. like yeah, yeah. Bless yeah. the families of of like beginning yeah. clarinet students and oboe students oh, and yeah. saxophone students. It's mm. just so painful. So what other opportunities might be coming your way? Well, the Gator Band has been uh, officially invited to go to Ireland this spring um, and be the first university marching band to participate in the Cork International Music Festival on St. Patrick's Day, uh, which is a, a huge honor. And uh, they're planning on somewhere around 100,000 live spectators for this parade in Cork. And then we've also been invited to perform an exhibition at the 51st International Marching Band Championships in Limerick, Ireland. It's the largest uh, band event in all of Europe. Uh, and then we'll be back in Dublin um, to close out the Irish Week festivities um, in downtown Dublin. 
Um, so we've got three uh, three performances in Ireland over the period of about uh, seven days, uh, and it all falls during spring break, which is wonderful. That sounds amazing. Can I ask if you've been uh, got any special songs that you've been working on? Not for that yet. We are just now starting to to put some things together for that uh, for that trip. Do you have any ideas? Uh, when Irish eyes are smiling. I exactly. think there'll be smiles smiling when they see you guys. So. Exactly. And go. Okay, so we've got a bit of a speed round for you now. Um, a few questions. What is your favorite song to perform? Okay, so I, I have a follow-up. What is, am I performing it or my favorite song for the band to perform? Hmm, okay. Let's go with the band to perform. It's going to be something Earth, Wind & Fire. Okay. All right, that's easy. Anything Earth, Wind & Fire. Yes. And why is that? It's just great writing. It It's very accessible. It's fun music. And it, it just, it makes us dance. And what is the favorite formation that you've ever created? Probably getting, uh, putting the gator head on the field and getting it to open and close, you know, and do the, the a real gator chomp on the field. And one thing for us to watch for this year? Just one, huh? Well, you can um, add as many as you like. I will tell you that we are working on a circus show that is going to have all of the elements of an old three-ring circus on the field. Any gators involved, per chance? Possibly in the parade of animals. You might see a lot of mascots in the parade of animals. Good to know. Well, Jay, thank you for that tease. And thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Eyes, eyes, eyes. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Our executive producer is Brooke Adams. Our technical producer is James Sullivan. And our editorial assistant is Emma Richards. I hope you'll tune in next week. And I hope you'll be able to catch the Gator Marching Band in action. <laughs>